World News Today, brought to you by Admiral Corporation in behalf of Admiral distributors and dealers all over America and in many foreign lands. By shortwave broadcast, direct from important overseas stations and leading news centers in our own country, CBS reporters are waiting to bring you first-hand news from the world's political and battlefronts. Now, here's Douglas Edwards. On the Western Front today, the Germans have failed in their latest efforts to close the relief corridor to the highway town of Bastogne. American troops have rolled back the enemy's spearhead, pointed at Sedan, they pushed it back seven miles, and the front dispatch reports that Allied forces have taken the Belgian city of Rochefort. American and British planes have continued their attacks on German supply points, and 52 German fighters were shot down in air battles today. The fight for Budapest is approaching a climax with Russian troops cutting down German SS troops to the last man in revenge for the murder of two Russian officers who, under a white flag, tried to deliver armistice terms to the German commander. In Italy, the Americans have recaptured Barga on the Adriatic side of the Italian front. In Greece, General Scobie has conditionally accepted an ALOS offer ending hostilities in the Athens area, and tonight, Adolf Hitler will make a speech. And now, news direct from overseas. Over the Army Signal Corps facilities, Admiral takes you now to Paris, Ned Calmer reporting. On the western front, the Germans have passed over to the defensive in most of their salient into Belgium and Luxembourg. There is no sign that they are getting out. But as our forces hammer at the bulge, the Germans are beginning to dig in. They are now concerned with holding what they have got rather than with continuing the penetration they have already made. This does not mean that the whole German counteroffensive is over. The fact is that the German commander still has some divisions in hand. And from the extraordinary patrol activity and one thing and another, it seems likely that he will try to break out again on another part of the Western Front. But in the area of the original breakthrough, the German progress is now backward instead of forward. As another year comes to its end and everyone takes stock of the past and looks forward to the future, this New Year's Eve finds the people of France, like most people, disappointed to find themselves still at war, but almost certain that it will all be over in the new year. This year of 1944 has been a momentous one for the French. The hope which they had nourished for four long years suddenly came to pass. The tables were turned. France was liberated. And the French are still getting over it. Human life, they had not seen much farther than the liberation itself. Somehow they had expected it to solve all their problems. But instead, most of the old problems are still with them, and there are a whole crop of new ones. So this New Year's Eve is not as gay a one as the French probably hoped they would have. But nevertheless, there will be many toasts drunk tonight in Paris to the liberty which... That was Charles Collingwood in Paris. Now back to Admiral in New York. In just a moment, more news. But first, here is Warren Sweeney with a message from Admiral Corporation. Hello? Oh, Grace, how are you? It's nice to hear from you. Oh, yes, we had a grand Christmas. No, we didn't go to the symphony. We had guests that evening. But I'm familiar with it. You know, we have the complete symphony on record. No, no, it's no trouble changing records. 
We have an Admiral Radio phonograph with an automatic record changer. So we just sit back and enjoy the whole concert without interruption. And the quality of tone is so grand that it's almost like hearing the orchestra in person. Well, Grace, when you buy a combination after the war, be sure to see and hear the Admiral before you buy one. We've had so much real enjoyment from ours, we've never had a minute's trouble with it. It's always worked so perfectly. And that's the kind of praise you hear everywhere from owners of Admiral Radio Phonographs with automatic record changers. Admiral Corporation is the world's largest manufacturer of radio phonographs with automatic record changers. And you can depend on it. The post-war Admirals will have even more exclusive features to please enthusiastic owners. Now, here once again is Douglas Edwards. An Admiral again takes you overseas, this time to London. Eric Severide reporting. The last night of the year has already fallen over England. London's restaurants and theaters are full... But the New Year's Eve celebration is a bit forced, a bit artificial. Events are in full tide as the year ends, and there's very little sense of an old chapter finished. The thing just goes on, and people are disappointed. Now they just wait as before. Of immediate events, they expect these. Another big German attack north of the salient along the Maas and Rohr. A Russian offensive into East Prussia. A new lineup of the Allied High Command, which is now accepted as a certainty. These, they think, will be the first great happenings of the new year. Looking back, people see that this year brought perhaps the decisive military victories of the war. But they realize, too, that it brought the first test of the peace. For in this year, the noble utterances of statesmen came up against the first of the inevitable trials by fact. And there is deep worry here that the Allied governments and the Alliance are not standing up to the test. As the year ends, the Churchill spell has been broken. He remains a dominant figure in British life, but the great Churchill legend and myth broke over Greece, and it will never be quite the same again. As the year ends, the atmosphere of Anglo-American common cause has gone suddenly very sour. American criticism of British policy was no stronger than British criticism of the same policy, but much more resented. And now, even Englishmen deeply attached to America are striking back. They think they have taken a little too much. British people look into the new year confident it will bring peace in Europe, but too disillusioned at the moment to want to predict anything. In this year to come, they hope for answers to two tremendous questions. How far will America go to shape the new world? And what will Britain be in the new world? The smallest of the great powers, or merely the greatest of the small powers? And in those two questions, they feel, are hidden the keys of many, many new years to come. Now, back, we return you now to Admiral. For a report from the Central Pacific and an interview with a Marine Corps major from San Francisco, Admiral takes you to Pearl Harbor, Don Pryor reporting. It's bright morning out here at Pacific Fleet Headquarters in Pearl Harbor on the last day of 1944. There isn't much spot news in the Pacific today east of the Philippines because this is one of those interludes between campaigns, a time when everyone in all branches of the armed forces is getting ready for the next big drive, wherever it may come. And it is coming, as Fleet Admiral Nimitz told the Japanese the other day in a special broadcast to the Empire. Until the day that Allied victory is complete, he said, the United States Navy is determined to carry the fighting to the very vitals of Japan. And the Navy, the Army, and the Marines are now in a position to strike wherever the Commander-in-Chief might choose. 
Repeated attacks have been made already on the Kurils, the Bonings, the Philippines, Formosa, the Ryukyus, and the Dutch East Indies. All those areas from top to bottom of the Japanese domain are vulnerable now to further invasion. Meanwhile, there's still a vast army of Japanese forces stranded along the path of America's reconquest. And the Solomons, the Marshalls, the Carolines, New Guinea, and the Marianas on most of the principal islands that we have bypassed. They're cut off from supplies and reinforcements, but most of them still have arms and ammunition. They're not a serious military threat, but it's important to keep them neutralized and knocked off balance, to mop them up as nearly as possible without wasting manpower on the ground. And that's what a lot of Marine and Army aviators have been doing for many months, flying regular milk runs over the islands, bombing and strafing and gradually wearing down these remnants of enemy power. Many of these men are the ones you used to read about every day when they were carrying the ball in Guadalcanal and northward through the Solomons. They haven't been in the headlines for a long while, but they have had plenty to do. To tell you something about it, here is Major, Marine Major George Dooley. You probably remember him. He's the man who landed a torpedo in a Congo-class battleship off Sabo Island and helped to sink her. He returned here just the other day from Guam, where he's been commanding a Marine fighter squadron. You were bombing Rota most of the time, weren't you? Incidentally, that's an island that was bypassed about halfway between Guam and Saipan. Uh, yes, we used to go up there every three or four days, but uh, they were really just training flights. Well, there were lots of Japanese on the island, weren't there? I guess so, but the only thing that I ever saw there was a dog. Some of the men said they saw Japs, and they would open up now and then with small weapons and with a three-inch gun they had in one of the cliffs. A few of our squadron were hit. We saw more Japs on Guam. They're still digging them out of there. Well, what did you do? Strafe them? No, we'd usually spot them on patrol and relay the information to the PC boats. They'd try to make a getaway now and then in small barges, but we kept a patrol around the island all the time. Did you catch any of them? I saw six of them on a raft one day, but they committed a hairy carry with hand grenades before the PC boat to get there. That is, all but one. He shot himself with a pistol and they captured him alive. Oh, what else did you have to do on Guam, Major? All about the only other thing was to work over Pagan up north of Saipan to keep the Japs from using the airfield there as a staging base against the B-29s. But that wasn't very exciting either. Perhaps not to a man who skippered the 1st Marine TBF squadron on Guadalcanal. But I'm sure you'll find plenty more excitement before it's over. Incidentally, Major, what do you think? Will Jap opposition in the air get tougher as we move on in? Or do you think their back's been pretty well broken? Well, I think it's going to get plenty tough. That's been pretty obvious in the Philippines. Besides, from all I hear, the Jap new fighters are very good. I haven't seen any of them yet, but I've heard about them, and I think they'll give us a strong fight. Oh, but you sound confident about the outcome. Good luck, Major Dooley, to you and your men. And thanks. This is Don Pryor at Pacific Fleet Headquarters, returning you to New York. The Brussels radio today quoted what it said was an order of the day from Adolf Hitler, dated November 27th, announcing the death of Field Marshal General Albert Kesselring, the commander of German troops on the Italian front. That has not been confirmed. It's an old rumor, dated November 27th, and it comes by way of the Brussels radio today. And now here in our New York studio to discuss with us the situation on the Western Front is Columbia's military analyst, Major George Fielding Elliott. The German counterattacks against the Third Army's advance elements in the Bastogne area have been beaten off. The Third Army is in full control of the Bastogne-Arlon Road and appears to be preparing to continue its advance northward, which was temporarily interrupted by the German counterblows. These blows appear to have been delivered in an attempt to clear the way 
for the escape of German elements to the westward of the main road, particularly in the Libremont and Saint-Hubert areas, elements whose supply lines have been cut or are threatened by the Third Army's push northward. On the west side of the German salient, the town of Rochefort has been recaptured by Allied forces. Otherwise, there is little change in the ground situation. But there is one very helpful change in the air. After three days of renewed mist and fog, this morning dawned cold and crystal clear, and Allied tactical air power was out in full force. This will not only give our airmen a new opportunity for attacking German ground forces, it will also give our commanders detailed information of the German dispositions, which have been hidden by the elements during three days of German withdrawals and regroupings. which have been hidden by the elements during three days of German withdrawals and regroupings. Since the Germans will understand the effect of this, it seems likely that if they have any serious renewal of their attacks under advisement, they will get on with the job promptly before our commanders can use the air intelligence to take appropriate countermeasures. On the whole, we have recovered about a third of the territory which the Germans overran in their winter offensive. This may look impressive on the map, but it is of little real consequence since nowhere in the whole area involved is there any point of great strategic importance, not even a big supply depot. The great result at which the Germans aimed, a breakthrough into the supply areas of the 1st and 9th Armies, are still denied them. The secondary results, forcing a redisposition of Allied troops, and thus holding up our offensive plans, they have achieved to some degree. And the emphasis which German radio reports put on this point suggests that the Germans are getting ready to say that these results alone were worth all the cost of their operation. But whether this is so or not depends on the amount of that cost, which is still to be disclosed. Indeed, the bill is by no means fully presented to the German high command as yet. There are a great many good German troops still heavily involved in a situation which is none too promising from the German point of view in its present outlook. Von Rundstedt must now make up his mind whether to try again for greater gains or to withdraw inside the Siegfried defenses. In either case, he may yet suffer severely, and we do not yet know whether he will suffer severely enough so that on net balance he will be worse off when the present operation is concluded than he would have been had he never undertaken it at all. That is what counts in the final analysis, and the time for such an analysis still lies well in the future. Now here again is Douglas Edwards. That was our military analyst, Major George Fielding Elliott. Moscow dispatches say today that a bloody day and night battle is raging in the Hungarian city of Budapest, as Soviet shock troops, incensed by the slaying of two Russian armistice emissaries yesterday, cut down units of German SS troops entirely without mercy. The reports say that Soviet forces, stung to red-hot anger, are going all out in their attempt to liquidate the German garrison, and the German Transocean Dispatch says the fighting in the streets is of an extremely bitter character, with the Germans using new, special anti-tank weapons. Moscow says that veteran Russian units, some of which were tempered at Stalingrad, are pushing toward the center of Budapest from the western and eastern parts of the capital, fighting their way over the rubble of collapsed buildings which the German SS troops converted into fortifications. It is to be noted that Soviet communiques, which have been reporting the capture of thousands of prisoners in other sectors, have not mentioned the taking of German captives inside Budapest. Moscow says that the Soviet command considers the German commanders and their men as outlaws since the slaying of the Soviet emissaries who were shot down as they carried into the city a demand by Russian generals for the surrender of Budapest. They went in under a white flag. 
the large part of the once beautiful old city appears doomed to destruction. The German broadcast admits that the Germans have during the night given up at least two strongholds within Budapest. The Pravda war map discloses that the enemy holds in Buda has been narrowed to an area less than two miles in width and five and a half miles in length, extending from a point opposite the northern end of the upstream Margaret Island to the downstream Cespel Island. The Pest District still is largely under German control. In Italy today, American Fifth Army troops have reoccupied Barga, captured by the Nazis in their abortive push down the Serchio Valley near the Italian west coast. The Germans knocked American troops from Barga 19 miles inland last week. Headquarters doesn't mention any fighting in the reoccupation of the town, and the Germans may have withdrawn without a battle. Substantial enemy troop movements have been reported earlier along the coastal area, but headquarters makes no mention of them today. Snow is falling in the Apennines, limiting visibility. In the Pacific, the important industrial city of Yokohama, neighboring Tokyo, has been placed in a state of alert. The Japanese Eastern Home Army Command reported a lone plane over the area. The foray over Yokohama followed Tokyo reports that four super fortresses raided central Honshu between dusk last night and dawn today, that's Japanese time, two over the Tokyo area, one over Nagoya, and one over central Japan. Fires were said to have been set in Nagoya. In Chongqing, China, Generalissimo Chiang Kai-shek said in a New Year's Eve message to China that as soon as the military situation is improved, a People's Congress should be convened to adopt a constitution which would enable the Kuomintang, or national government, to transfer power to the people. Chiang said he would propose such a step to the Central Executive Committee of the Kuomintang with a recommendation that it go into effect as soon as the military situation is so stabilized as to enable us to launch a counteroffensive with a greater assurance of victory. Well, back in this country, after seeing frontline action in the Philippines, is a CB officer from San Francisco. For an interview with him, Admiral takes you now to CBS Washington, Tris Coffin reporting. The newest member of the great Navy family, the CBs, is three years old today and a very husky baby it is. As Secretary of the Navy Forrestal puts it, the CBs can look back on a record of fighting and building that has won the admiration of the American people and the respect of other branches of the service. Our guest this afternoon is a CB, Lieutenant Commander E.M. Shanley, CEC-USNR. He is lean and crisp with blue eyes and blonde hair that's turning gray in streaks. He was a heavy construction engineer before the war in San Francisco. Commander, suppose you tell us something about the CBs. Our men are skilled workmen, and they come from about 60 different trades. Many of them are volunteers. They build naval and air bases, construct roads set up shore facilities, and repair just about anything. Much of the time, they work under fire. They've taken part in every major amphibious invasion of the war, both in Europe and the Pacific area. I understand you went ashore on Leyte on D-Day. I thought only combat forces went ashore the first day. Well, someone had to go in to find out if our plans that look so good on paper were going to work. You see, for months, we'd been studying aerial photographs and intelligence reports deciding where the best place was for docking the ships and locating the shore facilities. In this case, we had to completely readjust our plans. The area that looked so good in the aerial photographs turned out to be rice paddies overgrown with grass. One of my men took a pole and shoved it down 14 feet through the mud and sand. This meant that during the hell and fury of the landing, we had to throw away our plans, figure out something new, and pitch in with a lot of work. You mentioned the hell and fury of D-Day. 
What does a beachhead look like during those early days? Like something out of Dante's Inferno. Shells are crashing. Sometimes the beaches are swept by rifle, mortar, and machine gun fire. The planes are fighting overhead with the Japs doing their best to bomb our positions. On one beach where I was, 50 landing craft and 20 transports were offshore trying to unload. Supplies were all over the place. The rain was coming down in sheets and the ground was a sea of mud. Deep, sticky mud. There weren't any such thing as roads. As usual, in the early hours of an invasion, there weren't enough men or trucks to move the supplies as quickly as you'd like. And in addition, on this beach, there were Filipinos wandering around, some of them wounded. By the way, what was the reaction of the Filipino people? Well, it was wonderful. A lot different than some of us had expected. We'd been worried for fear that bringing the war to their homes and causing a lot of damage would create resentment. But not a bit of it. Whenever the Filipinos saw an American, they would repeat over and over again like a rhyme, we are very glad you are here. And they were. You could tell it from the way they smiled and looked. Their spirit and courage and obvious joy at seeing us gave the war a little added meaning. Commander, why is it the CBs have done such a remarkable job wherever they've been assigned? The thing is, they are all skilled men. They have courage and a will to work. It is a real honor to me to be a part of the Seabees. Thank you, Commander Shanley. I return you to Admiral in New York. A disastrous train wreck took place about 14 miles west of Ogden, Utah, early this morning. Between 40 and 50 persons were killed, and an undetermined number were injured when the second section of a westbound Southern Pacific Limited plowed into the rear of the first section. The crash occurred in the isolated marshlands bordering the Great Salt Lake. In this hemisphere, President Ricardo Adolfo de la Guardia of Panama appears to have weathered momentarily the political upheaval which Saturday threatened to come to a showdown when a group of the country's outstanding citizens attempted to force his resignation. And finally, this item picked up by Columbia's shortwave listening station. Our monitors heard the British radio point out today that in his last speech, Adolf Hitler said, We shall fight until five minutes past twelve. By an odd coincidence, the Berlin radio announces that Hitler will speak tomorrow morning at five minutes past twelve, Berlin time. And now, once again, here is Warren Sweeney with a word from Admiral. Surveys show that many of you want your next range to be an electric one. And when you can actually see all the new features and the beauty built into the post-war Admiral electric ranges, you're going to want one more than ever. I'm one of the people you're talking about, I guess. I've never had an electric range, but when I see some of my friends prepare a meal so quickly and with no bother, I'll admit I'm jealous. I want one, too. But I'm going to expect a lot of features and conveniences in my new electric range. You have a perfect right to expect them. Admiral Electric Ranges will be designed to please Mrs. America. Exactly what features will you be looking for? Well, I want a bigger oven with a light in it. And I want one of those complete meal cookers that'll cook my whole dinner while I'm out shopping. And I want an electric range that's really beautiful with some style to it. Lady, you want a post-war Admiral electric range. Admiral electric ranges will have all the features you've mentioned, plus many more Admiral firsts. Admiral will give you Flexo heat, which will assure new economy in cooking with no wasted heat. Flexo heat will give you any heat desired and will be as easy to regulate as turning on or off your water faucet. If you want the post-war electric range with everything for perfect cooking, be sure it's an admiral. Tomorrow is the dawn of a new year. 
The year just ending has been one of accomplishment on the battlefronts and on the production fronts. Admiral Corporation is grateful to you, its listeners, for making World News Today one of America's most popular current events programs. No effort will be spared to make World News Today even more interesting for you in 1945. Admiral wishes for you all a happy new year, a year that will see the triumph of peace and justice around the world, a year in which we must all re-pledge our wholehearted efforts to the jobs of making victory a reality. World News Today is brought to you each Sunday at this hour by Admiral Corporation, makers of Admiral Radio, America's smart set, and post-war makers of Admiral dual-temp refrigerators, Admiral home freezers, Admiral Electric Ranges. Be sure to listen again next Sunday when Admiral brings you World News Today by shortwave, direct from leading news centers of the world. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System.